In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Cast. Episode 249. Civil War! Dun, That's right. Dun, dun. Captain America Civil War, <laughs> to be precise. That's right. Talking about the latest installment of Marvel. Uh, well, the Marvel MCU. So, uh, well, Marvel CU, because the M stands for Marvel. Um, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I've seen it. Twice, Mark. How many times have you seen it? I've only seen it once, but I'm seeing it again tomorrow. The timing was I'm a tad unfortunate, but there was no way I was going to be able to see it before we recorded again. So tomorrow was the best I could do. Now, <laughs> all right. Uh, where uh, general general thoughts? Where do you feel? Like let's say let's say uh, on, a, on a one to five scale, how do we feel? Yeah, probably about four and a half. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I would give it a, a four, four and a half for sure. It's not a five, but I don't know. I keep I keep thinking the only reason I don't give any Marvel movie a five is because I keep feeling like we haven't reached a five yet. I'm just waiting for that one movie that I walk out of the theater just going, holy shit. <laughs> like, I mean, I walk out of the theater going, oh, that was pretty good and talk about this and that and that. But there there is yet to be a Marvel movie that I walk out of the theater and go, whoa, <laughs> like. I, I gotta see it again, like, immediately, because this is just the best movie I've ever seen. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, this, there, Marvel has yet to reach that point with me, so we'll see. Well, I think part, I think part of the problem is, is, and I'm sure this, this analogy, or, or some part of this analogy will come up during the course of this episode, though that's not the entire reason why we're doing this episode for sure, but compared to, compared to DC, <laughs> the problem with Marvel is Marvel, like, you expect the bar to be high. <laughs> so even when you everything indicates the movie is really, really good, that just kind of like raises your expectation for what you're going to see. And sometimes, as we know, when your expectation is is raised and it's higher, that just means that you might not – at least upon first viewing, you might not appreciate something as as much as you will later on once it's once it settles in because it's like you're – it's like I felt that way with Winter Soldier too. It's like – Winter Soldier was so heavily, you know, hyped, and every and the, and the reviews were so 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 good. Not that the reviews were that far off for uh, Civil War, but still, I mean, they it was so hyped that it's like you go in, it's like, yeah, I liked it, I enjoyed it, but because everybody was kind of like fawning all over it, it kind of like made you almost kind of like even made it a little, even more of a I want to see what's going on here, and then it turns out to be okay, it's good, but. Now I don't think I don't think there's anything I read in the reviews of this movie that I saw I thought was were untrue. It's not like it, they really raised the bar. I think it kind of met my. I think to be fair, I think this one kind of met my expectations based on based on what was in it. Yeah. Whew. Uh, do we want to go character by character? You want general thoughts on the whole movie, or what do you want to do? Um, I'm easy. What were you thinking? I'm easy. We can go. We can we can go character by character. I don't. I don't have a problem with that. Or do you... 
Uh, Or we could just do general thoughts about the movie, and then that will lead into talking about the characters, since obviously this is going to be... Spoiler alert, this is going to be a spoiler-filled episode. <laughs> so, um, I mean, generally, I thought it was I thought it was good. Uh, I definitely appreciated more on a second viewing. I think the first thing that hopped into my mind, you know, as, as in, you know, obviously I'm going to be mentioning specifics here, but the first thing that popped into my mind as I'm thinking about what to talk about is I think Marvel has done a bad job at spoiling the Easter eggs for fans in trailers and in TV spots. I agree. Uh, and in other ways, and I don't mean I don't necessarily mean the the Marvel fans uh, as far as the movies are concerned. I'm talking about the comic book fans, like the whole Ant Man on the Arrow thing. Like that, we didn't need to see that before the movie. Like that could have been something uh, just us fans were, who've read the comics went, oh, they're doing it, you know? Like you you didn't have to spoil that, or like how Lego spoiled uh, the the whole Giant Man thing. Yeah. Like, there, there are a lot of different things that shouldn't have been spoiled before the movie. Like, I get it, you know, if you want to show Spidey and hype people, hype the audience up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I understand, like, Mark's point with um, Age of Ultron with regards to not showing us Vision before the movie started. But, you know, that's that's Vision. That makes sense. When it comes to Spider-Man, who's got such this such a huge following and such a huge general public attention span like yeah we wish we he would have been a cool like last minute reveal or whatever like we would be surprised but at the same time we can't fault marvel for showing him in the trailer to get more people in the seats but i think but i think they could have going along with your point though i think they could have approached it differently and they could have edited it differently so you didn't necessarily have to see spider-man full-on to know it was spider-man they could have just had they could have just had the part when he when he grabbed the shield, web web caps arms, and then he could he could have said the same exact line but off camera, and it still would have gotten the point across. Yeah. So, not to break up your train of thought, but I I I I that's what I I do. And you would think they would learn they would have learned from Ultron. I think they need somebody needs to kind of like take them aside and go. You're showing too much of the movie. You know, there's a hyping the movie is good. Getting expectation is good. Once the movie's about two weeks out, you don't need this massive influx all over the place of different scenes and different action. It's like that's what they did with Ultron, and I think it hurt them with Ultron. I don't necessarily think it's hurting them with Civil War, but I think it absolutely hurt them. It hurt them with Ultron, and, and it's a and they need to. And this may be a Disney thing more than a Marvel thing because they were on the verge of doing that with Star Wars too. They, there wasn't that much they could do down the to really hurt Star Wars. But they were kind of getting close to giving too many snippets, before, you know, like a week or two before Force Awakens opened too. So it might be a Disney thing, and they need to maybe get that in check a little, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought the humor beats were really great. Uh, you know, one of my one of my favorite parts is when uh, when Cap kisses Sharon and and Bob, uh, and Bucky and and Falcon are in the seat and looking at him and giving him the smile and nod. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is right after can you move your seat up <laughs> yeah, yeah no <laughs> and then he just slides over to the other side and, and and then when they go up against spider-man and he webs him to the ground he's like why didn't you do that earlier and falcon's like i hate you yeah. <laughs> yeah, B- I mean, bucky and bucky and the falcon bucky and the falcon have an interesting relationship as you would expect them to have 
and any, whether this was in animated, whether it was in the books, or whether it's on the screen, because they're really in a very, very kind of potentially adversarial relationship, because the fact they they both kind of are occupying, like, Steve Rogers, like, number one slot over here, except one, one's the guy who did it a long time ago, and then he's been out of action, and then this is the guy who's kind of taken over the mantle. So they both are kind of used, based on their relationship with Steve, they both are basically are used to having that position, and then they kind of have to kind of accept the fact that there's <laughs> there's somebody else in the relationship now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like uh, Ant-Man. You know, he he's a great character. He was used for some shock and awe. Uh, but to be honest, like he was a, a, an injection of comedy more than anything, and and not not in a cheap bad way. Like when he hands the the truck to Cap and is like, "Oh, I thought that was a water truck," or <laughs> or, or 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 when he when he um, is in Tony's suit and is like, "Who's talking?" And 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 Ant Man is like, "This is your conscience. I know we don't talk much, <laughs> you know, stuff like that." So I mean, there's, there uh, I think. Sometimes in the Marvel movies, not every bit of comedy, but there are certain moments in different various Marvel movies where the comedy is misplaced or unnecessary. And in this case, I kind of felt like there wasn't one of those. They all felt sort of smooth for me. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And because you think about it, yes, I mean – Cap, Cap. I mean, like you mentioned, we mentioned the Falcon and the and, the, and Bucky stuff. I mean, once in a while, characters that are not o- that you don't think of necessarily is overly humorous, and maybe that's and that's why it works, is because they have the, a great line at the r- right time, and it's just kind of like okay. But the characters you would expect to get most of the humor from, you would expect it to be Ant Man. You obviously expect it to be Spider Man, and we know we know Tony. You know, we know Tony's going to at least try. Some of them always don't work, but some of them do, like the Manchurian Candidate line. Uh, it's like, a, but you know, but you expect that. So I, but Marvel, Marvel, Marvel does do a really good job at that, and they kind of always have. I mean, from from Iron Man going forward, they've kind of been that. Yeah, the serious stuff at hand, but but there's still room, at least for the per, the individual personalities to shine through. And I think they this and this was a very good character piece on that level because there were so many different characters. And we got to see pretty much aspects of almost everybody's personality and the intermingling of the different relationships between the characters. And again, that's the benefit Marvel has because they took their friggin' time over the last like eight years to get to this point. <laughs> they can do stuff like that and not have, to, and you don't, you don't have to go, you don't have to have a, you know, a verbal reference point. Oh yeah, I remember, remember this or this. I mean, or when this happened, they don't have to do that because we know. We know this stuff has happened, so a lot of the stuff, including the stuff between Cap and Iron Man that gets dug up and resurfaces in in this in this movie, a lot of that stuff we know that that's happened. We've we've you and I have talked about it before, like in Ultron and things like that. So we know it's there, and they know it's there. So it's so it's something they don't have to beat you over the head with. It just seems to happen kind of naturally the different aspects and character relationships in this movie, and I think that's something that. Marvel has been careful to build towards, and and now you're kind of, you're seeing this, and I'm sure once we get to Infinity War, it's gonna we're gonna see it come to fruition even more. Yeah, um, speaking of, of of introducing characters, you know, like I like how they you know they didn't even do a Spider-Man origin. They and even even though this is a Captain America Civil War, this is also kind of a Black Panther origin movie, though he had evidently. It's not – upon seeing it a second time, I was looking for it. He doesn't 
you don't necessarily get told he was Black Panther before his father died. Like, his father dying not only inspires him, to, you know, not only, you know, uh, legitimately makes him king, but also inspires him to then don the actual costume. Like, he was a warrior before, but this is the first time he's ever worn the Black Panther suit. Like, but evidently, this isn't the first time he's been Black Panther. He's he was he was before and is now Black Panther. And what I know about Black Panther from the comics isn't very much, but I know him to be a very noble guy. Um, you know, he's he's fierce. He's a warrior. He's a king, so on and so forth. So he does have all of that. But he, there's a, a sense of nobility and honor behind him. So one of the things I didn't like was the fact that they put him on this vengeance story arc. So that, that didn't ring true to me. However, I can forgive him for it because it's one thing to present a character as honest and noble and, 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 and all of this, this stuff and continue to play him that way and quite another to kind of establish a good guy morale at the beginning and then break his heart and then earn that, that uh, sense of morality and honor later. If that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, I didn't have I didn't have a huge issue with it, but but in a way, it's kind of like an it's his like his first. It's the first time we're seeing him, and it's for even though he's not the focal point of the movie, he does play a decent role in it. And it's kind of like his first arc because we're kind of seeing that we're kind of seeing how he got caught up in the moment and got blinded by vengeance and and he just had, and how one track minded he could be and that and he kind of I think by the end he kind of realized. Or realizes that that's a problem, kind of like, kind of like when he and, and Hawkeye are, are fighting at the airfield. He's like, we haven't like we haven't met or been introduced. My name's Clint. And he's like, I don't care, <laughs> because because of the of the three people fighting on the airfield, pretty much uh, Black Panther, Bucky, and probably Scarlet Witch are the only three that really are not pulling any punches. <laughs> they're fighting. They're fighting to win. So, so it's, but that's just the nature of who T'Challa is, and I think. Yeah, so I, I didn't have a huge issue with it because even, even at the worst, like in the beginning of the movie when they all get when they all get when they all get arrested and everything, or they and you know they surrender quote unquote as they get arrested and get taken away, that you don't get the sense that you know he's just he does, he's not willing to listen to anything. That he's still kind of he's still he's still intelligent. He's still rational, but he still he still knows you know it's still not necessarily going to deter him from. You know, he thinks Bucky was responsible for killing his father, and he's gonna he's gonna take him down. Another problem I had with the movie uh, would be Vision, and it's not it's not anything particularly wrong, like him wearing sweaters and stuff. Like, <laughs> no, that was funny. <laughs> uh, it's they presented him as godlike, and that's not. I'm not talking throughout the movie. It's it particularly happens at the airport scene when he you know quite literally draws a line in the ground. It says stop there because the music suddenly goes quiet and it's kind of got this choral sound to it, that ah, kind of like sound to it. And I don't, I did not then and don't like it now. However, kind of like, kind of like how I would, how I liked that they made, uh, they made the honor side of T'Challa be earned with the art, his arc in the movie. They also, brought Vision down a peg by having him screw up with Rhodey. Because you can when when you when you see him 
you don't see him again after that. I mean, you see, you you do see him at the very but end, not, but not in action. No. Like you you see him when Rhodey's getting his uh, cat scan or whatever. Like and, and Tony asks what happened and all of that. But at the very end, you see him sitting alone in Avengers Mansion or, or Avengers headquarters or whatever, playing chess. It, well, not playing chess, just kind of yes. staring at. Yes. Like he's he's in the dark, he's in the relative dark, kind of twiddling it, staring off into space, and like he's obviously bothered by the fact that this happened for him. So, I think you're going to get. It doesn't take away the Vision's power, but he's been brought down a peg. He's going to start thinking about the consequences of his actions. He's not going to be so ready to defend the facts like he's now i mean it's it's obvious now guys come on he's not he's obviously experiencing love for the first time and being able to be distracted and it's all it's he's he's an intelligent being he's he's got a sense of maturity to him but at the same time he's also an infant when it comes to emotions that he thinks he shouldn't be experiencing but is anyways so he has to learn how to deal with and process those. So it, it it doesn't take away his power, but he's now going to be put on an arc, probably, where he's learning to temper that power with emotion and how to process all of that and stuff like that. So I didn't like him then presenting him as a god because he literally comes floating down out of the sky, just sort of, you know, and everybody else is just standing still as he's talking in this, echoey boomy voice and you know just all-knowing all-seeing vision Uh, yeah but i mean i know i agree with most of what you're saying but but there's a reason why he's going to be portrayed that way because technically he is the most powerful avenger there he could there's no reason why he couldn't take out every anybody he may not all at one time he probably couldn't take them all out but he could take each any one of them out on his own because he's that because he's that powerful and on the plus side, and we're, I'm going to get back to your main point. On the plus side, the one thing I did like about this uh, incarnation of the Vision as opposed to Ultron is that we really got to see more of the Vision's real base power set in this movie. We didn't get – I mean like we saw like I mean, like one little snippet I think of him phasing through somebody in, in Ultron. We see that full bore in this movie. but And we also see his density control because that's how basi- – because basically that's how Wanda – that's how Wanda beats him so they can escape from Avengers headquarters. She uses his, abil- his ability to cr- – that, that for those who don't know or don't remember that the, one of the Vision's key powers is that he can control his own density. So he can literally make himself so dense that nothing can move him. And that's, that's how Wanda <laughs> uses his own power against him by making him so heavy that he can, and he's not able to stop it, and he just falls right, <laughs> smashes right through the floor all the way down into the ground of Avengers headquarters. But with but with the Vision, and we've kind of talked about this before, I I do agree with you. I wish I wish he hadn't been so responsible for Rhodey for you know for Rhodey getting shot. Out of the air. I mean, he obviously didn't cripple Rhodey, but he did shoot him out of the air and, and lead to him being as, as you know semi crippled as he is. Whether he recovers or whether Tony just makes enough tech where he, you know he can still function, even though he is. I wish they hadn't done that, but as you know, you and I disagreed on this when we talked about Ultron. But I kind of, I do, I, I still feel this is what they're going to do. And even if maybe Whedon wasn't going to go in this direction, I think the Russos probably will. That I think what we're seeing is. When we saw Ultra, when we saw the Vision in Ultron, we saw the perfect, as Ultron refers to him as, my perfect Vision, 
That is the most perfect the vision is ever going to be. The vision literally was, was born yesterday. He was innocent. He had no, he had, he had super intelligence. He had logic. He was completely motivated in doing what he was doing for the, you know, just for that reason. He, he didn't have any real emotional attachment to anyone or anything. And he was less human. Now he's becoming more and more human. He's becoming more and more compromised. Yes, Wanda is the main reason. His, his attachment to Wanda is his distraction. As he said to Tony, I got distracted. I was distracted. That's what distracted him, his, you know, his moment with Wanda when they were on the airfield together. That I think what they're building towards is that still in the Infinity War, Thor is going to be out of it or he's not going to be around, but the hammer is going to be around. Someone's going to need to use the hammer. They're all going to expect the vision to wield the hammer because he did it before and he's not going to be able to do it because he's not going to be worthy anymore. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy. Doesn't mean he's still not a hero. It means that he's human. You know, Hawkeye's a hero. You know, Brody's a hero. Even Tony, for all his faults, really is, is, is a hero. They couldn't lift the hammer, and the Vision won't be able to anymore either because he's not he's flawed now, which will open the door for Cap to be able to lift it like he should have been the first one to lift it to begin with. But I suspect that's what's going to happen. Everybody now would expect Thor oh, Thor, Thor's not, Thor is out of it. They got Thor, or Thor's down. Someone has to lift the hammer. There it is. Oh, the Vision's going to do it. No, the Vision's going to try but fail because he's not as worthy anymore. So I really do think this is where I feel more strongly now even than I did in Ultron based on watching this movie, that that's kind of going to be the subtext. Not necessarily the only reason why they're doing it, because they're giving the Vision his own arc. But I think that's what we're going to find. The Vision is still going to be, he's still going to be a great character, as he always has been, but he's not going to be as pure, as innocent, and not as inherently worthy as he was during that time frame that he was first created. So I think that's probably why they did what they did in this. And maybe even your point about showing him looking godlike to start with when he shows up on the on the uh, battlefield that at the airport that that might have been kind of again setting the stage for him to you know for the you know the god to fall and more than they just did in this in this movie i mean one thing i was curious about on the second viewing because i paid attention to it i kind of noticed when each character exited the movie like we never saw them again and one person we never saw again early on in the movie relatively early on in the movie, is Black Widow. So where do you think they're going to go with Black Widow? It wasn't that early. It was after the, the airfield battle. It was, but that's what I'm saying is, uh, like, I would, we, we see everybody else even after that, but we don't see Black Widow. Well, that's right, because Black Widow kind of, we assume Black Widow just kind of cut out of there. At, shortly after that scene with her and, and Tony, right? Uh, but I mean, we even see we see snippets of everybody. You know, we yeah, see, because hey, I mean, whether I mean, they're in the prison or whether it's Vision staring off into yeah. the distance, or Tony, or Cap, or T'Challa, it doesn't. We see a Spidey in, in the end credit scene. We see everybody. You're but right, Black Widow. You're right. Uh, I would I would suspect, you know. There's either two, only two real options. Either she's just going to lay low on her own and go and just do and do that. Of course, I guess there's a third option. Actually, no, we don't. We actually don't see. Yeah, I guess she. No, Hawkeye. That goes into the second option. So I guess there are only two options. Or she's just going to end up joining joining back up with, with with Cap's team, which is which is logical because because Black Widow. And this is probably a good time to talk about her. Black Widow was interesting too because she. 
and as we as we talk about this more, but you know, we're gonna get to, we're gonna delve into more of the idea of you know whose side who is not just who was on whose side, but whose side had maybe more merit if or both even though both sides it was not a slam dunk. Let's put it that way for one side or the other. They did a good job at making both sides of the argument about the yeah, awards. not 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 like it was in in Civil War, right? So like they the did actual a, comic, yeah. They did a good job, and we'll delve and we'll delve into that more. Black Widow is a good example of this because Black Widow was her heart is clearly with Cap. I mean, she has the other than Clint, the only other person, and I guess now with with that whole banner thing they created. But believing romance aside, the only other person besides Clint that she really is close to is Steve, and they've established that movie, they have that relationship over several movies now, and even and you can make a strong case even. Almost right off the bat, even when they first connected in the, their first interaction on the helicarrier, when when they, she first met him, they kind of they they kind of had some kind of rapport that was pretty instantaneous. And then once obviously they were fighting side by side on the street in New York, but they have a lot of you know a lot of backstory now together. So you knew all along that she that's why she was so all along she was trying to push Steve in the right in what she perceived to be the right direction, only for his greater good. Not necessarily because she really believed that the accords were good, because she didn't really. She was being more pragmatic about it, like, which was that, yeah, you know, this is probably – like Tony tried to – like the case Tony tries to make about, you know, they're going to do this basically with or without us, and if we get in on the ground floor of it, we're going to have more control of it, and then maybe we can start changing, you know, the rules, if you will, from the inside. So she – that's – but she cares about Steve – on a personal level, and that's why she she tries she obviously helps him along the way, but she also wants him to. She doesn't want him to be an outcast. She doesn't want to see him, you know, Captain America being a criminal, or being you know, being a wanted man and things like that. She she and she respects him, so her brain is her heart is clearly with Cap and staying with that group. It's her heart with him, but her brain knows Tony Tony does have a point. Uh, even though, to be honest, as we'll get, as we'll delve into Tony, I think I don't want to segue into Tony yet. But as we delve delve into Tony, uh, his motives are not all you know. His, his motives are very personal too. So, but so I, that's what I think. I think she'll probably end up going back to going back to uh, Cap's team, unless uh, well, unless the only other wild card would be what happens when, with Thor and Banner and when where 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 they end up after Ragnarok. And maybe oh, where open. they end up? Okay, I was about yeah. to say. Yeah. Because I'm I'm pretty sure about 98 percent of Ragnarok is going to take place off of Earth. Oh yeah, yeah. Because, I, I'm just because, curious where it's going to end. The first the first movie was largely Midgard, part Asgard. The second movie was kind of kind of half and half, and I believe the third one is going to be mostly all space. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, um, is now this is also going to play into something else I want to get into as well. Is there a space for her in any of the other movies? Do we think we'll show, she'll show up in Doctor Strange or Black Panther or just because of the girl power factor, Captain Marvel? Do we think she's? I mean, do you think we're going to see her again in action between now and Infinity War? Well, see, a lot of those movies aren't coming out before the first part of Infinity War, so that's what we have to remember too. That there aren't that there really aren't that many movies left before. Well, what's 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 what? Obviously, Doctor Strange is next. Doctor Strange is next. We have we have Guardians. Ne- Guardians is in May next She's year. She's definitely not in that. Yeah. And then and, and Ragnarok, and I don't know if there's anything in between those two. 
I, I, I can pull up the release schedule when we're talking, when you're talking about something else. But there aren't that many. Like, Black Panther, I think is, I think Black Panther's like 2018. I think Black Panther probably is gonna be a, a, after the Infinity War, unless, unless it's like, uh, cause I, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're gonna, they would, they would do like a March release and then do Infinity War, but, but I'll double check that as we're talking. But I think Black Panther. I, I, I wanna say Black, just, just the way, just his role in this movie, the, the after the credit scene where everything stands I want to say that Black Panther's got to be before Infinity War Part One, which by the way we're calling it Infinity War Part One. They've already released news that that's not going to be the name. You are correct. It's two it's two sixteen twenty eighteen. So we're both right. It does come out in twenty eighteen, but it should be coming out before uh, the first part of Infinity, so Infinity it'll, it'll, War. So it'll it'll be Doctor Strange. It'll be Thor Ragnarok. You said? No, no Doctor Strange, Guardians, Guardians. Thor, Ragnarok, Black Panther, Infinity War Part 1. Yeah, let's see. I, I pulled this up now. Yes, Doctor Strange, November 4th, Guardians, May 5th, 2017, Ragnarok, July 28th, 2017. See, now according to this, now this is, must be an old. This must be an older thing because it said Black Panther still in 2017. So it looks like Black Panther must have been pushed ahead. I mean pushed back. Uh, but then you have Captain Marvel is still supposed – I think Captain Marvel still is supposed to be 2018, and of course we know Inhumans has been shelled. Yeah. So, uh, so we don't have that many. So, looking at the possible movies coming, f- where Black Widow could show up, Black Widow absolutely could show up at some point, even if it's towards the end or in the credit scene of Black Panther. She definitely could have a tie to that because of Bucky. Um, we had, and obviously we have to we'll talk about Bucky too. Oh, uh, and her ties to T'Challa in general. I yeah, mean, that's true too. She they did establish a some. Not necessarily the best, a, a super friendly, they, they started super friendly, but then at the end, they, obviously we don't know how he would feel about her based on how, you know, how she was trying to take him out at the airfield to allow Cap and Bucky to get away. But yes, there's no doubt that the, no matter how you slice it, that, that she could absolutely fit into that, in that uh, plot or that universe, if you will, that, that, in, in that movie. Um, trying to think what else. I definitely... And the reason, the reason, I'm sorry, the reason I brought it up is because I'm pretty sure we're going to see Cap and Black Panther. See, well, the only problem with that is, technically speaking, he only he only has one more movie on his contract after this movie. Yeah, but he's also he's also said that he's he's down for appearing wherever Marvel needs him. Well, right, but I but I think I think they're going to have to they would we have to I think there's going to have to be some kind of unless unless he's unless he's willing to do like a walk on like he did in uh dark cool. world yeah. so it's going to be something like that but yeah if he's going to be any anything a consequence no 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 i i, I a don't cameo even, yeah i think yeah, he probably would I, I think he would probably do a cameo and i don't even think in my mind i don't even think you'll see him as cap you'll just see steve yeah it's it's yeah. certainly possible um but obviously not guardians of the galaxy and so yeah, I and I don't think Doctor Strange really has a role for her. I think you'd see Nick Fury show up more in Doctor Strange more before you'd see Natasha. Well, so, I also think it would have been out by now because they haven't they already wrapped filming or are close to it. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but we're talking like, to me. I'm thinking with that more like a credit after credit scene. Oh, more okay, than, yeah. Okay. We know she's not in the movie. We know neither one of them are co- or starring in the movie or the, in a in a major role. But probably, prob. Well, see, it would make a lot of sense in Black Panther too, because even though I guess the current storyline rumors for Infinity War are that that the first part of the movie is essentially going to be Thanos gathering the stones, and the second part is going to be the consequences thereof, which is not necessarily everything we 
entirely what we may have thought. We may have thought he would have gotten stones fairly early on in uh, maybe the movie. And then they the first basically leaving almost ending on a cliffhanger where the heroes get their asses handed to him, which I guess it could still it could still end that way. He just could finally you know they could be all they could be all that whatever team is there could be all that stands between him and like the last Infinity Stone, and he gets it, and that just sets the stage for the next. Are the Russo brothers writing Infinity War? Involved I don't, in, I, I'm assuming. I think so. The reason I ask is because they're also setting up Infinity War and Civil War. I don't know if you, uh, well, I'm sure you noticed it. That listeners, I don't know if you noticed it. There's a part where, um, I mean, I, it's a fairly big part, so I'm sure you noticed it, but if you recognize the implications of it, rather, where Vision is talking about the stone on his head, and he says, I don't know what this is, and then he eventually goes, and maybe I'll get to a point where I control it. So I think yeah, and it's more they're definitely what... setting something up there in terms of maybe not like him controlling or having anything to do with any other Infinity Stone, but maybe him having something to do where he, you know, Thanos has all those stones and somehow Vision gets that one back, thus breaking Thanos's you know total control of the Infinity Stones, and he's made he, you know Vision may not be the end all be all reason we they win that fight, but he might be a important cog in defeating Thanos. Yeah, I think so. And uh yeah, the way yeah, yeah, when he talks about the stone, you know, it's also the fear that the stone is going to control him though, because he doesn't understand yes. it and then he the more he understands it, then the less he has to fear about where the power source comes from and things like that. Yeah. Uh the right Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely are listed at least as on box office mojo as the writers for Infinity War Part 1. The Russos are just listed as the directors, which doesn't mean – if that's accurate, which doesn't mean they're not going to have input, of course, because clearly they have input. Yeah. Uh, I think – yeah, so that's so that's probably what to deal with, with Black Widow. Uh, that's Since we're talking about Black Widow, let's talk about Hawkeye real quick since obviously it's a natural segue. How did, how did you think they used him? Because I thought they used him pretty well based on the fact that he had lim- very limited screen time. I thought it was good. I thought, you know, and especially, you know, him coming out of retirement for this and, you know, all of that, you know, quote unquote retirement. I don't, I buy and I don't buy, you know, I, I, I kind of go both ways on it. But I also think it makes sense as him being almost a Nick Fury. You know, he is a spy. You know, he is a, an agent. You know, he would be capable of infiltrating Avengers headquarters and grabbing Wanda. He would be capable of, you know, coming up with a plan to stop the vision, even though it failed, but a plan to stop the vision. He would be capable of going to find Ant-Man and pick him up. You know, he would be capable of meeting Steve in a covert space and communicating with Steve. Uh, so I like that, you know, cause the Ant-Man, uh, after the credit scene showed that, you know, obviously it was cut, you know, it was cut differently in the after the credits scene in Ant-Man than it was right. in the actual scene in the movie. But it almost gave you the impression that Ant-Man might be kind of the linchpin that, that people could, you know, like Falcon is going to go get Ant-Man. Yeah. I th- and you I think, I mean? and I think it was more, it wasn't just the impression. I think, I think there was something that was written that was at one point. I could be wrong. That almost implied that, that's what that scene was supposed to mean because they like they found Bucky in that condition and they needed Ant Man to go into the basically and go into that press that vice to get him out. But yet, obviously, as we know, that's a completely that that's a that's a red herring. That's a complete misdirection. Yeah. So 
I, you know, it, the, I think the whole retirement angle so it kind of bothers me, kind of doesn't. Uh, but it's not enough to take me out of the movie in any way, shape, or form. So the more I think about it from a logistical standpoint of, like I said, him grabbing Wanda, him grabbing Ant-Man, him communicating with Cap, uh, that all makes sense to me. Him being on Cap's side makes sense to me. Uh, because I, I think Clint, in a lot of ways, is kind of like Cap. Uh, he's he's a lot of, if just for the sake of you know continuity between uh, comics and 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 um, and the actual c- cinema. You know, Cap and and Hawkeye have a stressed relationship, but there are a few people Cap trusts more than Clint in the comics. Like he trusts him to lead the West Coast Avengers and stuff like that. Like he. Him and Cap are pretty simpatico in mind. There are times when they disagree, but at least in this version of the Marvel Universe, they seem to agree a lot more than they disagree. Well, that would make sense also because much like why Natasha and Clint have a strong relationship because of what they've been through in the trenches together, both Cap, want, both Cap... Natasha and Clint all had the similar experiences too because they've been there before. If you go back again in the first Avengers movie, they were, those were the three that were fighting on the street. <laughs> those were the three that were on the ground level doing a lot of the dirty work for the, from the, for the better part of their time there. Obviously, Cap kind of veered off here and then eventually, you know, Hawkeye went up and so did, uh, Black Widow too, eventually. But for a lot, a decent part of the movie, they were all on the, on the streets in New York fighting together. So there's that, you know, in the trenches, you know, under fire bond that people have. Yes, there's a fundamental value system that probably Clint would share more with Steve. That would make him on Steve's side. But there's, but a key element to why he came out of retirement was Wanda. Mm-hmm. His relationship with, and it's, and it's, and Cap has a similar relationship, but not for, for different reasons. Like a big brother. Yeah, yes. It's the same kind of relationship, but for, but the motivations are different. That, because of because of Clint's relationship with Wanda, again, same concept un, under fire in Sokovia in the Battle of Sokovia. That you know he saw her basically grow up and become an Avenger in that mo- in that scene in that part of the movie. That he has a bond with her. He also knows that he that he feels it's his responsibility to look out for her because his her brother died saving his life. Mm-hmm. So he has a responsibility for. He feels as, as a big brother, as a mentor, everything to look out for her, which is which is the main reason. Suppose you know, deep, delving deeper, that's the main reason why he was the one to go get her. Also, because other than what, well, other than see, the Vision and Wanda obviously are having a different kind of relationship. It's not fully formed yet. I think it's safe to say right now it's probably stronger on the Vision side, I think, than on Wanda's side. Right, but she's – towards the end, yeah, it's, she, there, it's, she, there. it's obvious she feels it. Yeah, it's there. There's no doubt. I certainly would, would never deny that it was mutual. It's just right now the Vision is more deep, in deep than she is. And the Vision is certainly making a concerted effort to try to bond with her because they, because they have a lot in common because they basically both don't have anyone else – they can't relate to anybody else. The only person she ever was really close to, excuse, you know, elim- no pun intended, eliminating her parents who were dead to begin with, 
was Pietro. He's dead, so she's kind of trying to fit in for the last year with the Avengers, but the emotional ties, you know, she's kind of stunted there. Well, Vision says it himself. He says, your powers came from Loki's staff, mine come from the stone. Now, he doesn't... He doesn't know that the two are this, almost exactly the same thing because in Loki's staff is an Infinity Stone and the thing in his head is an Infinity Stone. Or, yeah, he, or pro- he probably, I think he probably knows it literally is the same thing. But 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 it doesn't. But, but that's their 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 power origins and power potential are also fairly close. Right. They're, yeah. There's there's a bond. They, there's a bond that they were a created basically by the same thing. There's the fact that they you know the visions kind of. Kind of like a child, and kind of law, and kind of like trying to find his way in a world that he doesn't necessarily fit in with. She feels the same way. So there's a. Oh no, different... wait, wait, wait! The stone in, in, in Vision's head is the stone from the scepter, isn't it? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah, I was yeah. for whatever reason I was thinking yeah. they were different. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. They. they yeah. Because because Ultron broke it open is like yes, he yeah, really yeah. he pulled it and he pulled and yeah, he pulled yeah. it out. Uh, so they have that. They have. So they do have a a unique bond, and that's you know, and that's playing out on that level. But there's a different relationship going on. As we said, Clint has a big brother mentor relationship and feels responsible for her. And she care and she cares about Clint too, which I'll get back to. But Cap has a similar relationship with Wanda too, and you can see that not just in the way he's trying to comfort her for what happens uh what in Nigeria in the beginning of the movie, but also when they when, you know, Ross is playing out all the damage on the screen and then they get the Sokovia and, and Cap makes it you know Makes it clear to you know to shut it off and stop showing it because obviously that that has a huge not just because Pietro died there but because of everything that represents to Wanda. No, no, it was it was the Nigeria thing that he says shut it off. I think it was later than that. No, it 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 it, it was no because he shows it in order. Oh, they did it show it in order. Okay. Yeah, so he shows the the battle in New York. He shows the the. Uh, the Winter Soldier stuff. He shows Sokovia. Then they get to uh, that, and then he's okay. That would yeah. make sense because both of the it's the double whammy yeah with Wanda then because you would exactly. have Sokovia followed up. Yeah, but he obviously not just as his role as a leader, and also Cap has a similar has a has a bond with Wanda similar, not with the death you know with the death thing obviously, but he has a similar relationship. It was forged in a similar way under fire because he don't forget Cap was. Cap was the one who was there when the when the twins basically switched sides. He was the one fighting with them when when they were in Korea trying to get the cradle, the vision, ironically, on the train. On the train that they he was there when they switch when they switched sides to stop Ultron, and they showed their first signs of what they could do when they used their powers for good. So there's a you know so there's definitely so there's definitely a he has a you know he has a responsibility. To look out for Wanda too, and and the thing, so you know, Wanda's Wanda, I think had a good. She was she wasn't on screen as much as maybe as it, she could have been, but it was very important. Everything she was, I think, it's very telling and moving moving things forward. I think it was I think it was important. I liked her relationship with with Barton. I think that you saw you saw that they do have a good bond between the two of them, not just because when they're because he came to get her, and then, and then not only did he come to get her when the Vision, not trying to hurt Clint, but you know, just trying to you know incapacitate him. But when he did that, that really that got Wanda upset enough where she used her powers against the Vision. So there's definitely a bond between her and Clint, and you saw that even at the during the battle at the airport because of the fact that who you know when, when he and Black Widow are, are just like having a like little play fight, she just comes in and blasts the hell out of Black Widow and says, "You're pulling your punches." You know, so so they have that kind of relationship where not only is she comf- not only 
would she do something like that and not have to worry about Clint getting pissed at her that she would feel comfortable in saying that to him and just being dead on, dead on and straight with him and which we know a lot of people, close friends, don't feel comfortable telling friends shit they don't want to hear. <laughs> so I, so I thought and that I, was pretty cool. I thought they had to, they, so. I felt, I felt weird about her role too because she's powerful and she's, she, she never signs the accords, but she's in Avengers, uh, Avengers headquarters and knows at one point she knows she's being kept, but does nothing to get out until Clint shows up to rescue her. But it's almost like, now I'm not saying she's not making her own decisions, but it's almost like she's just being pulled in different directions and is just going with the flow because then she's captured again and imprisoned again. And, I think this actress is 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 good enough that this is this is the way they wrote it. She looks broken there, like yeah. she's she's she's, and it's not because she's in a straitjacket or in prison. She's just she's done. Like she's just completely out of it. Well, I think it's both because don't forget that that mirrors the first time we essentially saw them back back, back when Strucker had both of them before. So it probably before. plays a role, but I think not as big of a role as just everything she's been through within the course of this movie. She's just kind of lost. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just lost. Uh, yeah, yeah, so so I I kind of feel like there isn't she she's she's not really doing things. Because she agrees or disagrees with the accords or anything else, it's just more for other motivations. She or may, she's not even clear on what the motivations are and her personal motivations are in the first place because she's confused. Maybe I don't know. I think I think she's on the side she should be on based on her background and everything else. No matter what, I think, and I think that's probably what, what led her there. She's certainly not. There's certainly not enough water under the bridge where she'd be real quick to jump on anything Tony Stark wanted, despite the fact that they probably are. Obviously, they're not as antagonistic or hard towards him as they were in in Ultron. But she's still gonna. She has again. She has a loyalty to Cap for multiple reasons, especially having been on the Avengers under him for a year. That, and I think that she. I think. I think there's a difference in again the fundamental difference between uh, what they stand for. I think she would always lean with Cap. I, she is. I think there's some truth in that she's torn, but it's also because she's trying to figure out what her powers are. We know much like in the comic books, we, we clearly have seen this, and much like you know Jean Grey at the same on a different level, because of the, the incredible amount of power that they have, that a lot of times people are kind of like pulling them in different directions because they want them to do things, much like. You can make the case like Anakin in the prequel trilogy, especially episode three. A lot of people were pulling him in different directions or trying to get him. They all wanted him to do something. Even Padme wanted him to do something by trying to get him to talk to Palpatine to stop, uh, to have negotiations reopen uh, between the separatists and the government and the Republic. So I think Wanda's kind of in a similar position where people are going to be pulling, uh, wanting her for their own for their own reasons, even though we know Vision wants her for, for personal reasons, and I don't mean that in a bad way, and I think Hawkeye and Cap want her also for personal reasons, and, and just as you know, so so yeah, I, I do I know I know what you're saying. I think considering she you know the I think she did a really good job in this movie. I thought just by the snippets that we saw that she was going to be really good in this movie, that, that Elizabeth Olsen was going to do... Ha, she was No matter what amount of screen time she received, she was going to really 
be one of the characters, one of the existing characters that kind of helped like steal the movie to a certain extent. And I think, I think she, I think she succeeded in that. I mean, you knew Aunt, you know, Paul Rudd was going to just because it's Paul Rudd. You knew he was going to be really good, whether he was in the movie for five minutes or fifteen. You knew he was going to be memorable. But as I thought all along that she was going to be, and to me she was, and it's harder because she's not. She doesn't get the funny line. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, are 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 uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Chris Evans dating? So. Okay, I don't know. They they have this really good chemistry. Um, like even like during all the press tour and all this, like it seems it seems like they're they're always sitting next to each other. It seems real. They seem really close. I don't know. I mean, I, obviously that doesn't necessarily have to mean a relationship, but I just I don't know. I just thought I'd ask. Um, speaking of, you you kind of mentioned Iron Man. When talking about Iron Man, I also want to bring up the similarities and differences between Civil War the comic and Civil War the movie. I think part of the reason you're on Cap's side, for the most part, until the very end, obviously, of the Civil War storyline when the when the citizens jump in and kind of change Cap's mind, is because of the way Tony acts and the things he does. Like, for instance, in this movie, there is a secret prison. You know, there was also a secret prison in the the comic book. But Tony and Reed purposefully built that prison for the express purpose of storing anybody who went against them in the uh, in the registration act. Both both metahuman. Well, I, I use the term metahuman uh, from DC, but for whatever reason, I'll use it here. Metahuman allies and enemies. Both doesn't matter that there's an apartment complex with TV and all. You know. It's basically a, a, a lush suite you can never leave. It's still a prison. Tony actually had a role and a purpose in building it himself along with Reed. Whereas in the comics, I mean, in, in the movie, he gets to that undersea island prison thing and he knows about it, but he didn't have a role in its design. Like he said, he says to Clint in there, he goes, I had no idea you'd be put here or whatever. And then... Clint kind of says, like, it, it, I wasn't purposefully trying to find every little snippet I could that related to the Civil War comic. You've, you've obviously read it, Mark, right? I read most of it, yeah. Okay. When, when, when Tony is talking to Clint in the prison for about – for the majority of that conversation, I was waiting, waiting for Clint to pull out a silver dollar. Because in the comic, he's imprisoning Daredevil – and Daredevil has had a silver dollar under his tongue, and the guards found it, and if, and they present it to Tony. He's like, "What's?" He looks at Daredevil, and he goes, "What's this?" He goes, "Now you that, that makes thirty you have, so thirty pieces of silver. silver." So yeah, and I was kind of thinking that that Clint would do that. Uh, it, it was it was almost it was almost like they verbally did it without actually doing it. Um, and we're not in time, and all. And Tony making that statement, all that really means is that he was he didn't think that when they captured those guys, they were actually going to take him to that facility. It does not yeah. necessarily mean that he didn't know that facility was was there. He just didn't no, think or, that. No, I, I meant I meant I, I meant ex, 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 for the express purpose of imprisoning them in it or oh, yes, having a yes. construction. Yes, based on what we know in this movie, Tony certainly did not have a first hand in building it just for people that weren't going to go along with the. With the, with the Accords, yes, that is correct. Yeah. And another thing that's very, very similar to the comics is the fact that Civil War and the Accords slash the Registration Act happened because of death. Now, in the comic, 
it's one big big event, especially so close to a school. Um, but in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's all the death and destruction throughout an extended period of time. But it's all in both comic and movie. It's punctuated by the fact that it's a mother confronting Tony about the loss of her son. And one of the things the mom says to Tony in the comics is that, oh, Tony Stark doesn't care what you do as long as you're rich and have powers, you can join his, like, superpowered boy squad or something like that. There's there's some... I listened to the um, graphic audio interpretation of the Civil War novel adaptation um, recently before the movie so I could, you know, kind of just relive the civil war storyline so i'll put that i'll put that audio you know in right here from from graphic audio it's a tricky piece of legislation if it's enacted into law it would have to be administered with great wisdom great care tony stark tony turned around (coughs) you should be ashamed ma'am i'm gonna have to ask you to leave leave what my own son's funeral he's the one you should be dragging away please Ma'am, I appreciate that you're upset, but but the New Warriors' tragic actions had nothing to do with me. Oh, yeah? Who finances the Avengers? Who's been telling kids for years that they can live outside the law? As long as they're wearing tights. <laughs> I, um, I don't think Mr. Stark says that. Cops have to train and carry badges, but that's too boring for Tony Stark. All you need are some powers and a badass attitude, and bang! You've got a place in Joe Billionaire's private super gang. Tony opened his mouth to speak, and then something happened that had only happened once before. His mind went utterly, completely blank. He realized she was right. Now, after hearing that, in the movie... She says, she starts talking about the loss of her son, and she says something to the effect of, you know, when you're as rich as you, you can break as many eggs as you want, right? Like, so, so there's a lot of similarities there. So, so there's that. But because of the similarities and differences from the movie and the comic, because obviously we knew the differences would, would have to be there because the Civil War comic by and large is about secret identities. And there is no so real secret identities for the most part in the cinematic universe. Um, like even Black Panther right away takes off his helmet <laughs> after yeah, he spotted in Spider-Man. Ironically, is one of the few. Yeah. So so there's that. We so we knew that there'd be differences, but it's the differences in the comic, in the movie, from the movie, from the comic, that make it hard to see whose side you're on. Whereas in the comic, it was like very clearly Cap. <laughs> you're, you're, you're on Cap's side. Now, there are people who would argue against that just for the sheer logic and, you know, if superheroes were real in our world, how would it work and all of that. But because Tony didn't have an active role in imprisoning, you know, his friends and allies, because he gave them every chance in the world, because it was so personal for him, because, you know, in, you know, you can keep listing the various things in the movie. I think. They did a very good job with Tony in this movie because he could have very easily been not the enemy, but you know he could have been the enemy up until the point that Zemo's plan you know really kicks off, and then you know the focus shifts and you realize oh Zemo's really the bad guy here, not Tony. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I would say that they did that the movie itself even more. I think more than the marketing, the movie does a better job at, at, at 
giving you both sides and trying to build a case where maybe you don't necessarily, and I'm going to go, get into this in a second, maybe you don't necessarily think both sides have equal merit, but you know that they're certain, it's not a slam dunk. Yeah. That uh, I think the marketing did, especially when they, when they the first clip or in that trailer or whatever with, about the, uh, I could do this all day with, with, the, with Cap when he was fighting Tony at the end. I think they were, <laughs> they were really setting up the idea that Tony was going to be the bully. And I think that some, in some of the marketing, early on anyway, a lot of the marketing continued to play up the aspect that Tony was really going to be the the aggressor throughout this entire thing, and he was. But in in the movie, it's it's in the movie. No, it's not as it's not like that. Like we kind of mentioned earlier in this episode, when they all when everybody comes together for the big fight scene at the airport, which is really really cool. Uh-huh. That pretty much other than that, almost everybody. With the exception of Black Panther, Bucky, because of how brainwashed he is, maybe once he gets deprogrammed more, he would hold back more. But Black Panther, Bucky, and surpri- not surprisingly or not surprisingly, Scarlet Witch are pretty much the only characters that are not holding back. Uh, everybody else is kind of holding back. They're not trying to hurt anybody else. They're trying to get the point across. But even when Cap and Iron Man, even though they don't have, a, they, when they square off, which isn't for a whole lot of time at the airfield, that. They're they're not really trying. You're not really trying to, you know. It's like trying you're trying to win on points. You're not trying to win by knockout. So I think, but with Tony, it's interesting to begin with, is because, and I and obviously we know early early on in the movie they de-age Robert Downey Jr. for an for an important scene with his parents, Which was but amazing. Yeah, but and I don't think they aged him maybe that's just the fact that he really looks that at this point in his in his life he's he's kind of showing actual real age on his face but I thought if if it was just really regardless of regardless of whether it was enhanced or not whether that was it doesn't matter I think Tony looked for the first time and it was and it was relevant for the character he was where his character was in this movie he looked really weary in this movie he looked really older. He looked really beaten down. Well, he has a black eye for most of the movie. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I know. But I mean, besides <laughs> that, we knew he had a black eye from the from the from the from the get go. Though I think that was that was some misdirection too, because I am pretty sure that I read somewhere that that Cap was supposed to give it to him early on, and that's not exact. That's not how it happened. Uh, that he really looks beaten down. He's he's a lot he's a lot more damaged goods. And I think, and that also goes into why he's supporting the Accords. I mean, we saw, we kind of saw the first, you know, but PTSD, uh, Tony in Iron Man 3. And I think we're kind of getting a different, not as, not quite as traumatized, but you're still seeing maybe like a 2.0 version of that in this movie from the fallout of Ultron. Because, because at the end of the day, there is truth in what he's saying about if we don't do it now, they're going to do it for us, and we're not going to have we'll have less say in it. But I think the more the most telling line from Tony is when he goes, uh, "You know, we need to be put in check, and, and whatever that takes, I'm game." What he's really saying deep down, and you don't have to—I don't think he has to be Freud to really break this down. What he's really saying is he needs to be put in check. Is that he's looking for a fail-safe on himself because he doesn't have as much confidence in his own abilities, despite the fact that. He and Banner and Thor were able to say, you know, kind of put it all back together with Vision at the end, and, and it turned out okay. But he's not quite as sure that he's got all the answers now, and that he should be left un- unchecked to do whatever he wants to do either. So I think there's, a, I think there's very personal reasons even before 
in fact, factoring in, you know, Alfre Woodard's character talking about her dead son, I think there's a lot of stuff going on with Tony that's about what he's experienced. And obviously the Pepper thing, that he and Pepper have broken up for, you know, whether how, for how long that lasts, who knows. But that's another thing that's weighing on Tony, and that's supposed to be as a result of the fact that he didn't give up being Iron Man because, he does, as he said, he didn't want to give up being Iron Man. He didn't want to walk away. He liked he liked doing what he's been doing. So I think there's a lot of guilt on Tony. There's a lot of weight on Tony's shoulders, and I think this is maybe part to kind of like assuage his own guilt, you know, to a certain extent, or try to make amends in his own way by trying trying to to come up with the accords. But there's also maybe a hint at the end that maybe he kind of sees Cap's point of view slightly too, with just the way you know when when he gives all the evidence to Ross about Bucky and everything, and Ross is just one, two, three, quick to dismiss it because he doesn't care anymore because he's more pissed at Tony for not bringing it for taking his time and not and not and not being able to bring in Cap. But he's more or less willing to dismiss the evidence, and maybe that's gonna and that could be a chink in the armor of, or of Tony realizing maybe Cap's right about the agenda stuff that it may not really matter. At the end, of, maybe it does matter. At the end of the day, not having control because people, like Cap said, and this is the big, this is the strongest point in Cap's argument about being anti-accord, is the fact that it's not just about you know wanting to go where you want to go or, or having that freedom. It's not just about freedom, which is Cap is all about to begin with. It's about the fact that not only could that who's there's going to be somebody in charge of the Avengers, and just like they used to be, you know, was the World Council, like we saw in the first movie. That whoever is in charge is going to have an agenda, and that agenda can be anything on any given day. It, agendas change, but it's the fact that they could send the event, force the Avengers to go somewhere where they don't want to go, as well as not allowing them to go somewhere where they know they should be going. Right. And that's to, and that is Steve's biggest argument, and why he's probably more right than than Tony at the end of the day. Because right. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll we'll come back to Tony, but since you brought it up, it's a natural segue. In your mind, because I, it, it keep, I'm going somewhere with this, but okay. in your mind, what does the Accords do? In this movie, what does the Accords do? I think the, the way the way we were given this in this movie, the Accords are basically designed to prevent the Avengers from acting autonomously. Okay. Okay. So, okay. so the Avengers. Because I watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Okay, in the episode after Civil War releases, I, I don't know if you know what's going on with the Agents of Shield line. I don't want to spoil anything for people who are watching the TV series, so I won't say what's specifically in happening. But I'll say it's a safe bet because it happened in season two uh, that the Inhumans are involved in the Agents of Shield storyline. Inhumans have been introduced, uh, both the concept and actual Inhuman characters. Uh, for good or for ill, in the series. And General Talbot, uh, which is a character from the, the universe, is oh, partnered... Oh, it's supposed to be Glenn Talbot? I'm pretty sure. Uh, that's that's cool. That would make uh, sense. He's work, he, working for Ross. That would actually make sense, too. General Talbot is partnered up with Agent Coulson. And I won't say, say what Agent Coulson's role is, except it's a leadership-type role within the... Well, obviously now that Hydra has come out since Winter Soldier, Shield can no longer be like a you know an actual presence. Now they kind of got to work in the back channels. General Talbot is partnered with Coulson. There's sort of a tenuous leadership role there, and 
Talbot is sort of sort of the oversight, not really. Coulson's kind of his boss, but not really. They haven't really defined that very well so far. There's a point where Talbot comes to the S.H.I.E.L.D. base, and, and Coulson walks him around, and he wants to see the Inhumans that they have on their team or in custody because of the Accords. And they say the Accords. They're making it seem in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, I understand that what happens in the TV isn't necessarily the direction they take in the movies because the movies are obviously going to influence the TV more than the TV is going to influence the movies. But just on face value, just based on what we've seen on screen, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., he comes to check out the Inhumans because basically, and he says, I, I believe he says something along the lines of, you know, you've got a bunch of really powerful, dangerous, superpowered beings here. And he uses the Accords as a way to do that. And the president is the one directing Talbot to told him to go talk to Coulson about the Inhumans using the Accords. So it's not just Talbot using the Accords. It's the president of the United States using the Accords to identify and I think they might don't don't quote me on this pretty sure he uses the word register the inhumans that shield has working for it or in its custody and that ultimately is what factor would play into you know what what Steve was saying all along using about that basically even even if you want to give which is tough to do, especially nowadays. If you want to give the, whatever governing body it is the benefit of the doubt that their motives are pure, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be somebody who takes that original purity and, and corrupts it and uses it for their own, or takes it to the next level. Uh, so now that's why that, that's why I asked because in the movie it makes it seem like it's the Avengers, whereas Agents of Shield is now using it for things other than just the Avengers. It's just really super powerful beings, whether they're part of the Avengers or not. And that's right. And plus, we don't, and because we don't get to see the language, it may very well be written. It may very well be written, like enhanced and things like that, that are that are vague. And of course, in the movie, we only care about the Avengers, so that's how it's focused. But it could be, yes, the actual language in the Accords could be broader, and that and that could have also been part of the part of the problem that people had with signing it. Yeah. So I just I decided to ask if if you perceive the accords in the civil war movie the same way i did yeah yeah i think it's cause okay. it's, it's it's clearly it's clearly set up in the movie that there that it has to do with basically who's going to be who's going to be calling in who's we know well we don't know specifically who that there's going to be somebody calling in the avengers and determining when they're going to be called in and when they're not going to be called in and that and that's no longer going to be the avengers and that's what that's what the real conflict is in in the movie so, but yes, the accord is the, the accords in the movie certainly do not imply that it has to do with everybody that anybody who is enhanced or has any special abilities more or less is under government control. Because I think the accords now play. Now, if, if we're just talking, if we're just talking within regards to the movie, I think the impact of the accords on the rest of the cinematic universe uh, films leading up into the Infinity War movies is is one thing. If you take the the accords as defined in both the movie and the Agents of Shield episode, how is it going to factor into individual powered beings doing their thing, like Spider-Man, like Black Panther, like uh, Doctor Strange? Because we've already seen Doctor Strange that he's fighting somewhere. It looks like maybe New York. I wouldn't. It, this thing you know. is supposed to be New York. 
So, uh, and, and he's not by himself either. He's alongside some other people. So, so if you take it, if you take the accords as presented in the Civil War movie, okay, the, its impact on the rest of the the, D, the Marvel Cinematic Universe films is relatively negligible because of their either association with the Avengers or their newness in the terms of uh, Doctor Strange and, and Captain Marvel. But if you take it in terms of the Civil War definition and the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. definition, it's possible it ha- might have a more overreaching effect on the other movies because of will Spider-Man be able to operate? Because even, even Tony says when he's talking, when he's talking to Spider-Man in his, in his room in Queens, he says, you know, he says, Oh, is that, you know, that's you swinging. And then the next scene is, is, uh, is Peter catching a car. So that he's, and Tony's like, that's not easy to do. You know, like we're talking about how powerful Spider-Man is. It's not, it, it, it is portrayed and not portrayed in the movie, but, when it is portrayed, it's very subtle. You gotta, you gotta know Spider-Man and his power potential in the Marvel Universe. But you, if, if you know it, you can, you, you catch it. So, the power level of Spider-Man, the power level of the newly introduced Doctor Strange, the power level of, of Black Panther, not, and the, and the influence, you know, maybe they won't interfere with him as much because he's actually a king operating in his Presumably, own country. Yeah, I so think maybe, that, I think that ge- I think that gives him a lot more carte blanche, which is kind of right. why the, the movie ends the way it does, and how he's not really concerned about if they come looking for Bucky. <laughs> right, and 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 then Captain Marvel and all this other stuff going on. Obviously, it probably won't play a, uh, a, a a role at all, if even a tiny one in Ragnarok. But if you take it from the Civil War definition, its impacts are, like I said, negligible. If you take it from Civil War. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., its impact may not be a main factor in any, if, uh, if all of these movies, but will be felt. Because the impact of, of Winter Soldier was felt in the rest of the Marvel Universe in some way, shape, or form. The fact that Hydra has been here this whole time. So I, I really have a hard time believing that Marvel would put something in place as serious and as impacting as the accords to only have its impact lessened and if almost negated by the end of this film. So I'm wondering and I'm I'm starting to think that maybe the Agents of Shield definition that's been added to this whole thing is actually true. And that's how we're gonna be seeing the impact of the Accords in the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because at the end of this movie, Cap is telling Tony in this letter in his letter if you need me, I'll be there. And I think that's probably going to be one of the opening scenes of Infinity War is Tony saying, holy shit, we need everybody. Or somebody saying, we need everybody, and we call in Cap and, and his team. Know, his secret warriors or whatever, you know. So um, His amazing friends. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I think I think as much as as much as you or I or anybody else would say that, oh, well, just because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did it doesn't necessarily mean the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to change its whole definition. I think in this case, what I saw in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is what the Accords is, not just the Avengers. It's something else, too. Would you would you say that's a safe bet, just given 
uh, the history of things, the, the things that have been revealed. I'm, I'm obviously going specifically off the Hydra examples. Hydra was a, a, a big reveal, and it didn't just go away by the end of Winter Soldier. I think you're right. I think uh, I'm sure I'm sure they would not have done that in the TV show if it was going to be completely different. You know, if if it, they wouldn't just go off on go off on a, on a tangent that was not going to have any ramifications or be completely contradict you know contradicting uh, what happened in the movies. So I think I think and that could definitely have ramifications, and we could see you know as the movies go along, building up towards uh, the end of Phase Three, we could see you know that the impact of that even more. Okay, yeah, because that's that's why I brought it up is because the definition of the movie that's that's what exactly why I asked because it it really makes it seem like it's just the Avengers, and if you're yes. not watching if you, if you're not watching Agents of Shield, you're going to be a little confused by the time one of these other movies comes out and deals with the Accords in some way that doesn't make sense within the confines of of Civil War. So, I agree. So that's why I brought it up since we're doing this review episode. So at least our listeners know what's going on <laughs> and what is potentially going on in the next few movies. Um, but back to Tony. Uh, I guess the other part we need to talk about is the death of his parents. Which was which was kind of implied, in at least in Winter Soldier, that Bucky could have been involved in it. Yes. But, but, but now, but from, from the very get, beginning of the movie when we start getting these bits and pieces these snippets of the uh, of that videotape that we kind of know where it's going. I mean, <laughs> to me anyway, it was pretty clear that, what we were going to see. But yeah, and the fact that at the end, that's that's what really pushes. That's what because I, bef- by the time we get to the part where Bucky and we actually actually we probably should have talked about Zemo before we did that. But by the time Bucky and Cap go off to try to you know hunt down. Uh, Zemo on what he's doing and prevent seemingly another red herring that the like the other five yeah. super soldiers from being yeah. reactivated when that was never part of Zemo's plan. That you know Tony, you know Tony ends up, but from the Falcon, right? He finds out from from the where they're going. Yes. So when when Tony shows up, and he when, makes he tells him to go alone. Yes. When all three of them are together. That's when they ha- when that's when Tony throws you know shoots out that Manchurian Candidate line, <laughs> yeah. which is great. When Cap and him are seemingly have are are coming to like some kind of uh, detente over there, and the Winter Soldier is still aiming his gun at him. It's like so it's like Winter Soldier. It's like hey Manchurian Candidate. Like can you put the gun down? <laughs> it's like we're on the same side here. It's like that at that point when they're all working together. It's not until yes, not until the confirmation that, t- that Tony sees that it was Bucky that killed his parents. Especially his mother. Yeah, that, that's that, 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 you know, and her name wasn't Martha. We don't think uh, that that's what pushes him over the edge, and that's what leads to the big all-out fight at the end. And that's the only, that's the only real knockdown, drag-out fight between you know Bucky and Iron Man and Cap and Iron Man. That that's because basically Iron Man's so pissed off enough at this point that he's probably going to kill Bucky unless Cap stops him. <laughs> So that's part of probably what Steve's motivation, besides the fact that Steve would stand up for his, for Bucky anyway. But but their fight, you know. But and we do have Bucky's arm blown off, which which I kind of you know, which you kind of I kind of kind of knew anyway since I had seen the credit scene uh, before the movie came out. I had seen that credit scene, the Wakanda scene, so I knew his arm was gone. Which which of course just opens the door for him to have to get a vibranium one. 
I'm sure next time we see Bucky, he's going to have a vibranium arm. Well, not to mention at the end of that fight, uh, Tony gets all, you know, 10-year-old and goes, my father built that shield, and Cap drops it. And the next time we see Cap... He's in Wakanda. <laughs> like, well, see, yeah, he's and, gonna get another shield. Well, see, that's that's the thing, and there's there's two ways it can work, and I hope and I hope that it works. I hope it works this way. That yes, obviously he could get a different shield right off the bat from probably from T'Challa, and I think that's the way they'll go with it. And maybe that's the shield that we'll see broken in Infinity War, and then at the end of Infinity War, like maybe as a bonding moment be- between Tony and Steve at the end to make things right, that Tony will go, "I have something for you, and this is you know you you, you deserve it." But then again, you always did, and he gives him back the original shield. That's what I kind of hope happens, as opposed to Cap's original shield being given back to him somewhere in Infinity War, and that's the one that gets shattered. But yes, there's obviously Cap can get another shield. A lot of people, I don't know if I would have been so quick to give the shield back to Tony since, yeah, his father did make it, but he made it for me. (laughs) He made it for me because he believed in what I stand for, and that's what I – Not to mention like an hour before in that movie, Black Widow goes, technically it belongs to the government. (laughs) (laughs) And that's another bit of humor when when Sharon gives – Falcon the receipt for their stuff, and he's like, yeah. bird costume? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was, I was like, come on. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 was really good. And, yeah, the the, the idea with, uh, and the fight between, and it kind of factors into this, too, going back to the airfield battle. And this, this is one of those Tony Stark reminds you of Bruce Wayne moments when, when Spider-Man and Cap are fighting, and basically, Cap and Spider-Man are talking, and Spider-Man's telling Cap everything Tony told him in advance about about him, that you know about going for his legs and things like that. That it's like a throwaway line to a certain extent, but it kind of just reminds you that much, even much like Bruce Wayne, that you kind of know Tony Stark probably does have a whole dossier and how to take down any one of all and all of the Avengers if he needs to. And he probably just didn't come up with it when the Accords were – there was a conflict inciting the Accords. And you kind of see a little bit of that when he's fighting Cap at the end trying to – you know, realize, you know, realizing you know, pretty much that you got it – that there's no way he's going to – as long as Cap has the shield, there's really no way he's going to beat him. And as soon as he gets the shield out – you know, he gets the shield away from Cap, then he's – and, of course, Cap's getting tired at this point too. But that's when that's when he starts doing damage, and I kind of like the fact that, and I knew this too going in, that the way Cap was able to beat him by basically shutting down his react the, the reactor in the suit for the most part with the with the uh, shield. So yeah, I had to tell somebody next to me in the theater who I didn't go with that no, he didn't kill Tony. <laughs> but they were still <laughs> talking at the end. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, like mortally wound him or whatever, like he left Tony to die or something because. I, I had to tell. I, I said, "Did you did you see Iron Man 3? <laughs> no, no. I said, "Okay, he had the shrapnel removed from his heart. You know, he's he's okay. Like, it, <laughs> don't worry about it." <laughs> but um, speaking of, just because you brought up the, the airport scene and, and Tony's sort of mindset and thought process there, I think you might be right about Tony wanting the Accords in place. I mean, I thought you were you know right then when you brought or first brought it up. About the cords being, you know, not just putting the Avengers in check, but putting himself in check. Because his reaction when he sees uh, uh, Peter on the ground after the after the the big fights, yeah, he runs over to Peter and <laughs> tells him to stay down. <laughs> well, I mean, right, but right before that, before before 
Parker flips over and, you know, it's, it's obvious he's alive. That look of concern on Tony's face is like, holy shit, did I just bring a kid into this and get him killed? Like, I don't know if you saw that. Yeah. 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 But he, he's real concerned about, about what he just, it's a, thanks for half a second that he did to him, to, to them. So, yeah. That's just, uh, I just thought that was interesting. No, it is. It is. I mean, because I think, it, it's just it's a little problematic that we keep kind of going back and forth between Tony seemingly okay and then like kind of like a trauma, a post traumatic stressed out Tony. So like I said, this version is not nearly as much of a you know, and I hate to use the the phrase, so I'll, I won't I will rephrase that. You you hate to see him as you know completely skittish and lacking confidence and and afraid of doing of doing anything like he kind of was at some points of Iron Man three before he kind of got over the hump that. But still, like I said, he's definitely being haunted by the sins of his past in this movie, and that's a and and he's going to be haunted by the sins. You know, he's kind of was haunted by his own sins again because you know he felt he did feel bad about everybody being all the other Avengers being thrown thrown in the slammer because of him, and he felt bad. And obviously, he feels bad about about what happened to Rhodey, and I think he feels it does he does feel bad. I think what happened between him and Cap too. So I think it's yeah. so it's it's a it's a and we probably should talk about Zemo because we really haven't all other than passing because because Zemo as a villain was quite interesting because I while I I'm not really happy with the fact that they didn't have any make him really any Zemo like compared to the comics at all I was a little disappointed in that though of course there's nothing saying that he can't that can't happen down the road since he didn't die but there's something kind of really subtle or something kind of really trying to think of the best word but it's really it's really fascinating the fact that his plan was relatively simple um, on some basic levels it's just a, a he knew he couldn't he knew he couldn't take them down like other people tried to take them down which was just to overpower them so basically he didn't have he figured he didn't have to do that there were enough splinters and enough uh, dominoes waiting to be tipped over there to begin with and we've seen that before we kind of saw it we saw it in Ultron that there were enough pieces there to be exploited that all you have to do is start the dominoes falling and they'll basically tear themselves apart. And I like the fact, I do like the fact that he was able, that by taking that approach, he was able to basically succeed where like Loki and Ultron were not able to. Yeah, he's, he, he was an effective villain, for sure. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think he was very effective. I, th- I do, like I said, I, I, being old school and, and also having ties to you know the Thunderbolts and things like that, I kind of wish we got more of the classic, at least costumed Baron Zemo. We doesn't have to be dis, you know uh, disformed or anything. Uh, but I think that would have been that would have been cool. But again, there's no reason that we won't see it. You know, we could we could definitely see that coming down the road, and because he is alive, and as as many people point out, usually usually since so many villains end up dying in these Marvel movies, that it may, probably isn't a coincidence that Simo is left alive. I, I like. Uh, I mean, we haven't talked about like Crossbones or Thunderbolt Ross or uh, or Falcon or you know. Even really, Winter Soldier. That's it. Um, Falcon and Win- actually, all three, th- other than Crossbones, are all on my little checklist here. Crossbones, I I didn't mention because to me, he doesn't. 
He's not into the really. No, it it's just it's just a you know a period at the end of the sentence that started in Winter Soldier, and that's it. Yeah. Because pe- some people like Crossbones, so I think I think that's what it is. It's not the only to me the only there the only two interesting things that happen in the beginning and is the is the fact that it, it sets the stage for the, the you know the final tipping point for the Accords, and it makes you wonder where the hell the Vision was during all that. Maybe, yeah. maybe not War Machine, because maybe because you're trying to have a, a, a more of a subtle presence and not flying in the air the way you are and things like that. But you'd think Division would have made that a whole lot easier if he was involved in that mission. So, um, talk about Falcon because what every time Marvel likes to do like DC is much better with it with, in terms of their TV, especially with like regards to the Flash show. Like, every time you think they're not going to do something, they give you, like, a telepathic gorilla in King Shark. Like, <laughs> like it's just like, holy shit. There's nothing they will not do. Marvel does it sometimes, and it's brilliant when they do it. Like, one of the things that Falcon had, other than his ridiculous-looking suit, was a pet Falcon named Redbird, or Redwing. Redwing. Uh, and they didn't do it, but they did do it. And it made sense. Like, when, as soon as that drone popped up out of the back of his suit, I was like, if this fucking thing is Red Wing, I swear to God. <laughs> like, they did, and they did it. Like, he called, because he's, he's, after uh, Red Wing shows up in the, when Black Widow's confronting those two thugs, he's like, thank, thank it. He's like, I'm not thanking that thing. And she, she's like, I'm not thanking that thing. It's weird. He's like, his name is Red Wing. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I was like, ah, yes! Because it, and it totally made sense that it was a drone. Like, because all Falcon ever really used Red Wing for is sort of to see into different environments and stuff. You know, just kind of be his eyes in the sky. And it makes sense that a drone would be his eyes in the sky, especially with his tech glasses and all of that. So that, uh, man, that was so good. That was, uh, I thought that was really well done. It was. They, they did a good... And, and he plays, and Anthony Mackie plays that part well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the foul, I mean, the, and, yeah, this was, they did a really good job at expanding his character and giving a little more, getting more of the rapport between him and Cap. Even though, I mean, if they always had, I and mean, even in Winter Soldier, you knew they had it from the get-go, but, but having, again, time under their belt now working together, I think, you get, you get, you get that sense, you get that feel. And, and I think tying it into Bucky, I I I certainly liked Bucky a lot more in this movie. I liked him probably. I I, I don't know. I, I might like him more in this movie than I did even in uh, First Avenger, you know, in a way. Uh, but certainly he was he was a lo- he was a little a lot closer to the old Bucky in this movie than he was in Winter Soldier. Hmm. But he still has, clearly he still has a long way to go. <laughs> I like that he's messed up and knows it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he knows that he's he knows that he basically can't be trusted because basically if if anybody happens to get into either gets into his head even if they don't necessarily code, you know, know the code word, but if they can kind of do mind games on him and control his mind, then they can put him back in, you know, that and kill mode again and and when he's in kill mode, he's he's pretty hard to stop. <laughs> Oh, and, and I, dude, I just thought of this, and you, you probably chide me for not realizing it before now. But, and he's, he's, tr- he at least tries to keep Cap out of it. 
And not just, I mean, I, I, don't, I know they're the same person, but not Cap, but he can't, tries to keep Steve out of it. Because if you remember, in, in when he gets captured, he talks about his name is Bucky. And then after his little, you know, the thing that Zemo does to him by reading those code words, his arm stuck in the vice, he knows, you know, you're, you're, you know, you used to put newspapers in a shoe. He didn't just suddenly remember that. Right. He knew that then, and he knows it before he's 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 uh, he's mind controlled by Zemo. But before he's mind controlled in, by Zemo, Cap tries to confront him in his apartment, and and he says, "Do you know who I am?" And Bucky says, "You're Steve," and that kind of gives Cap a glimmer of hope. And then he says, "I read about you know I read about you or in, in a museum." Why else would Bucky say that to Cap if not to say like to, to to try and keep Cap out of it? I mean, obviously, Cap's pretty committed to his cause of helping Bucky, whether he remembers him or not. But why else would 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 Bucky say that to Cap if not to try and push him away? Because I mean, it's, it's obvious because Cap doesn't buy it <laughs> like right away. But Bucky tries to keep Cap out of it until it, you know it, it, it's too late. Cap's in it, like for good or for ill. I've, I, I said what I could, but he, he's not going to give up. But, but he tries to keep Cap out of it. Yeah, he does. He he definitely is trying. Yeah, he's trying to. He knows he knows he is responsible for a lot a lot of shit, and he knows that you know. It, even though he may not be "quote unquote" responsible because he didn't make the conscious decision, the point is he's the one. He knows he did. He did it, and he did stuff. And the stuff he, I'm sure he doesn't remember that he did, but there's stuff that he does. No, 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 no. He says he says when Tony's confronting him and taking him down, he says, "Do you?" Tony like whisper growls. Do you even remember them? And he, and, and and Cap or uh, Bucky says, "I remember all of them." That is true. Uh, I'm just talking, I meant more from the beginning, just in general. Uh, just the idea that he's haunted by he's haunted by stuff he remembers, and maybe he's haunted. Maybe I should have said maybe, and haunted by stuff. Maybe he doesn't quite know everything. You know, been, during the process of being brainwashed uh, along the way uh, to get him to point A, almost like the Jason Bourne thing when how J- he has to remember how he they made him kill that first guy or whatever to help put him on the way. But either way, uh, yeah. He he wants he wants to avoid Steve getting involved in it. He wants to, and he, much like Tony in a way, it's like he kind of feels that he is maybe he does deserve to be punished for for what he did. So, I mean, he's, and he's trying he's trying to make a life as much as he can, trying to trying to get by. But that does, but clearly, clearly that's only worked so far. And once you know, once he gets set up, once he gets set up to be the you know, the assassin and everything, then. Of T'Challa's father, then that kind of like sets everything in motion. Yeah. Now, one thing I wanted to reference because we we've, we've we have talked about it on the show before, and and we've I know I I know I brought it up even before. Once we knew, I think once they announced that Civil War was gonna gonna be the official you know title and storyline of of the third cap, that one of my concerns was. That I didn't see how that was going to really work because they really hadn't done a good job at establishing the relationship between Steve and Cap. That there was no long-standing close bond between the two of them that there was in the comics, which made that storyline work. That they, we we never really had that in any of the movies. They've always kind of had this you know grudgingly grudging respect, but it, almost like an adversarial relationship, but having to work together. 
Now, despite all that setup, in a way, I think this movie kind of works well because of that. Maybe that's how they dis- dis- decided to approach it. That in a way, you kind of get a better glimpse of their friendship in this movie. Even though this movie is about them coming coming apart, I think you get more is more in this movie. I think that indicates that they were friends and to show the respect that they had for each other, probably in any of the other movies so far. And I thought that was kind of a nice a nice touch. I think they did more to establish a real friendship with them and that they genuinely care about each other than than they probably had shown before. And maybe it was going to take time. Maybe 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 it's something that could only really come across after having you know been in the trenches for like two Avengers movies and everything that's come across in between. You know, they've both gone through on their own since they first met each other. So yeah, yeah. So I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool. Now, one thing we, other than him getting wounded, we didn't really talk about was War Machine. And I, 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 the only thing I want to say about him is you were talking about, you know, the friendship between Tony and Cap just now. That really showed how these two guys with so many differences have a lot of similarities. And on the opposite side of the coin, you've got, you've got, uh, you've got Rhodey and you've got Sam. Two guys with a lot of similarities who are on completely different sides of the coin. Because they're both soldiers. And I and I don't mean like, you know, that Cap's not or that Hawkeye or Black Widow are not soldiers. You know, they're they're different kinds of soldiers. These Rody Rody and Sam are soldiers in the modern era in the modern sense of the word, with similar experiences and you know, all of this stuff. Both have, you know, great tech and, you know, both are friends and confidence of these, uh, of these, you know, powerhouse Avengers, you know, but they're both on two different sides of the coin. And I thought that was really well done too. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't just because, because at this point, Cap and, Cap and, um, and, and, uh, and Tony, haven't really expressed their complete viewpoint of the Accords. That scene kind of opens with both Rhodey and Sam squabbling before Cap gets involved. Yeah, almost like uh, satellite states. Kind of, they both almost like, uh, kind of like how you know, like the Korean War was kind of like a de facto. You know, these kind of these, these conflicts and like the Korean War is kind of like a. a, a a satellite state struggle between like really representing you know t- the two superpowers different views on things uh yeah. fighting so the big pa- so the big guys don't have to the small guys as their small smaller allies do that w- yeah i th- i thought and in a way I'm, i mean it's kind of funny i'm i'm a little disappointed in rody though it's fairly predictable he was going to be on on iron man's side at the end of the day you would think him being a military guy and having been on cap's team for like a year you would think he would be a little more Maybe he would be a little more open-minded about it. Uh, I did have War Machine on the list to talk about because I gotta. I have to be honest with you. I, I don't know. I still don't like Don Cheadle as War Machine. I, I don't. I, I think Marvel's done a lot of really good casting, but I don't. I still don't. I, I have not warmed to, to him either as Rhodey or as as War Machine. And I don't. And I don't. And I'm not a. And I try to, I do try to be fair about this. And then I, you go back to uh, the original with what's his face. So I just draw a blank on uh, the original Rhodey. I don't remember. I'll yeah, give me a second. I'll find it. Uh, it's just in a t- 
embarrassing. I had it in my head. Uh, I was. I mean, I didn't. I thought he was. I thought he was a more believable roadie than Don Cheadle. And and I'm not a. And I liked. And overall, overall, I do like Don Cheadle. I think he's he's a good actor. I just for some. And I just don't necessarily know if I don't. Let's put it this way. I don't think I buy the relationship. The relationship between. Uh, Don Don Cheadle's roadie. I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I buy that. His relationship with Tony Stark in their close friendship. I don't think I buy that as much as I buy either the Falcons' relationship with Cap or Bucky's relationship with Cap. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't see that. You know, as a that that rapport is natural, and I think that it it just. I don't know. It just doesn't. It just doesn't work for me as much. And it's yeah. I buy. I buy the, just based on all the cinematic movies. I buy that Happy is closer to uh, Tony than than uh, Rhodey. Yeah, I think so too. I think, and I just. I just don't think. And it's hard. I mean, it's really hard to say why. Uh, Terrence Howard. I couldn't freaking think of Terrence Howard. Oh yeah, he was in Hustle and Flow. Yeah, he was in a lot of stuff, and and I'm not a big Terrence Howard guy to begin with, but I, but he was, I think he was more believable as Rhodey, and I think he was more believable in his relationship with Tony, in the original Iron Man. I think they, you could believe those two were good friends, and, and I. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I think I don't know. I, it was it was. I really, I did like it. I liked where you know, you know, where where we're heading. I liked the fact you, they, you know, the Ross threw in the line about you know, do you know, do you even know where Thor and Banner are? Which of course probably, once we see Ragnarok, we'll probably know where they were. <laughs> well, also the way he framed it to kind of give give credence to the Accord side of things. Yeah, the, he says like you know, if, yeah. yeah, if I if I lost misplaced you know two forty. Uh, for for uh, what is what's the word? Megaton. Yeah, forty mega forty megaton nukes. Uh, people would be asking me where they are and holding me accountable for that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think so. There were good there were there were good points raised on good points raised on both sides. I do think that, like I said, I think cap side is a little harder to dismiss at the end of the day because because cap. In a way, you can make a case both sides are trying to look at the big picture issues, but I think Cap is, despite the fact that you would think Cap, as as Rhodey accused him of being naive, you would think Cap would be more naive about the way he approaches things. But I think he's kind of got a better pulse of the of the way things are actually working from the point of view that being control. You know, once you give away the control, then you know you you it it just means it's more than just a symbolism of giving away the freedom. Is that that we don't have we don't they can use us any way they want or not use us when we when we want to be sent in somewhere and that how how relevant that is you know yes we make mistakes but also as a soldier he realizes you know the basic concept of collateral damage which is something even in the first avengers movie that tony had a hard time dealing with but related to you know when it was related to colson that cap you know cap has, is a soldier he, he's been in war so he knows that you try to save everybody you can but it's not going to always work out that way. You do everything you can. That's why he was. It's even in an Ultron. It's not like he wasn't. It's not like he didn't know it was possible that you know people were going to have to die. You know, in Sokovia, it's the fact that he wasn't willing to accept that as the option until there was literally no other option to go with. And then, then you know, he was still willing to go down with the ship, pretty much, if he if he had to. But he was. 
but overall yeah. he know, he knows he knows that you're not going to save everybody. And the, the Spock thing, the needs of the many versus the needs of the few, and and that's and that's what it comes down to. And so he, in that level, I think is is you know I think he I think he is looking bigger picture. Yeah, I think I think another thing, and I don't think we should we 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 should or need to go into this. So I'm just gonna gonna sort of present it as a thought exercise. We've already been going for like an hour and a half, and I don't want to make us go another hour, <laughs> but. I also wonder if the differences between Civil War the comic and Civil War the movie have to do with when they came out. Um, I think Civil War the comic, and this is just more of a thought exercise than anything, just something that popped into my head. We all know how I like philosophy and sociology and stuff like that. Um, I think you know when when Civil War the comic came out, it was you know right around nine eleven. You know where a lot of you know we're scared. We're you know. Things need to be in check. We need our security, and we're more willing to sacrifice our freedoms for security. In this day and age now, I mean, you know, I say in this day and age, you know, to me it feels like, you know, yesterday that 9-11 happened. But, God, man, it's been like 15 years, right? So it's been a a long time since that happened, and it feels weird for me to say that. I feel like I'm getting old now that such a huge event is so far away. But – and now, nowadays, we're worried about too much of Big Brother. You know, we have too much security, too much things, you know, too many things are on paper, too many things, we're being watched too much. We're, you know, Big Brother is everywhere now, kind of a thing. So now we're kind of going the opposite way. Whereas when Civil War happened, you know, we're more willing to sacrifice freedom for security. And now these days, there's too much security. So I think that might, I think that might also play into things, you know, because... You know, to, we 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 can see Tony's point, and you know, generally Thunderbolt Ross, the you know the Accords, the United Nations point, and it's played out and presented very well in the form. Actually, now that we now that I bring up the comparison of a terrorist attack, um, and and all this stuff, and 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 of 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 you know you know violence and things like that, but when they they they. They narrow down the definition on both sides of the argument for and against in ways that make sense. But Caps makes more sense to us because he says what you said earlier. You know, he says, what if there's somewhere we need to go and can't or don't want to go and need to uh, 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 don't want to go and they send us anyways? Like there are, there are two sides to these both to this argument, obviously, and. They do a good job of presenting both sides, but they also do a good job of simplifying and making a very logistical argument for both sides. But we fall on one side easily anyways, because I think of the climate in which we're in right now. I think that I think there's truth in your, your general philosophical point. I think there's truth. I think there's also the fact that probably this was no coincidence either that when 9-11, when Civil War was written – it knew, you know, the culture, you know, the time, the, the zeitgeist of the time that it was being mm. written in. So they knew that people would be more probably because of the real events that were going on, people would be more prone, even reading the story, to potentially think about that. Even though Cap is always because of who Cap is and what he stands for, he people are always going to gravitate towards. If you don't know which side to pick at the end of the day, you look at which side Cap picks and you go with it. <laughs> yeah. that, that's kind of who he. That's kind of who he is. But they kind. But because of the, the climate we were in, 
from a writing point of view, it probably, it probably made sense to say, well, we're going to have some people who are going to be willing to look at the other side of this, the Tony side of it more, because of the climate that we're in now and, the, and our willingness to give away a little bit of freedom to be, to be more safe. And that's why they push it. They push right. Tony's point of view far enough to where he's building prisons for his friends and crap like that because they're showing – maybe you're right. Maybe they were purposely writing Tony and pushing him to the – you know, if we – the writers are making the commentary within the confines of an overarching story. The writers are making a commentary. If we keep going down this path, this is where we're going to end up. Yeah, it could have been. It, yeah. it certainly, it's certainly something worth you know thinking about. <clears throat> so yeah, is there any other point you wanted to touch on before you brought up your sales figure stuff? Uh, I I think we've touched on everything that I think I wrote down. We we touched on. I mean, the Ant Man Giant Man thing was cool. We talked about him briefly, or the Ant Man part of it. I mean, the Giant Man part of it. We talked about that briefly. But I think I think we've touched on. I don't think there was anything that I left out that I wanted to talk about. Okay. So you're in the same boat, you think? Yeah, we're good. So looking at looking at box office as we stand, not counting, of course, this is at, through Sunday. We're recording this on a Monday night. So through 10 days, Captain America Civil War domestically is $295,966,000. I'll leave out you know anything after that. That gives you an idea. So basically $296 million, give or take. And at the same point, ten days in, Ultron was at three hundred and thirteen four. So more or less, like closer, like eighteen million dollars difference between the two. Uh, considering, considering like all the hype and everything for Ultron, not that there wasn't hype for Civil War, but again, then uh, Ultron was a direct sequel to, you know, that was a follow up to that. at the time you know, the movie that had the biggest opening in bo- in box office history, certainly domestically. So. I think I think that's pretty comparable. I think you certainly look at the Cap franchise overall, and it's been heading in the right direction, not just critically, but box office-wise. And it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if it's going to be able to uh, beat Ultron domestically. I guess there's a chance. I doubt it's going to beat domestic. I don't – let's see. Ultron worldwide made a little over $1,400,000,000. Million. And looking at cap so far worldwide, it's it's at 942 million. So I don't eh, I don't know if was it like five five. I'm trying to look at how much. Well, how much did, Sil- uh, did uh, Age of Ultron make in its first ten days? 313. Okay. Yes, yeah, that's I threw that out before. It's one of the figures. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Sorry. Don't worry about it. Yeah, three three thirteen and change for Ultron in its first ten days, and two ninety five and change, almost two ninety six for the first ten days for yeah. for Cap. Uh, Cap has had a pretty good hold. Um, it certainly should have at least one more good week and weekend until pretty much until you get to Memorial Day weekend when X Men comes out. That's probably the, that's probably will be the first time Cap will you know drop truly sizably, certainly out of the number one spot. Oh. X Men is already starting to get bad advanced reviews. Yeah, I know. It, it's it. Last time I checked, it was only like in the fifties or fifty-seven or something on Rotten Tomatoes. But it's been going up. To be fair, when I checked it, when I checked it last week, it was much much lower. So it's it doesn't look. It's certainly going to be so so from a critical point of view. But it's not 
Nope, it's not Batman versus Superman critically. So I. Yeah. And speaking of which, you know, Batman, you know, uh, Civil War is doing much better than Batman versus Superman, and it's doing better than Iron Man three at this point. So it's did did what were the what were the 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 numbers for the second weekend? Did it drop? Because I saw a meme on Facebook today. Uh, you know how like. There's that Kermit the Frog meme that's like, hey, so-and-so, but that's not really my business, though. Well, this one showed Batman in the situation like how it said something like, you know, Batman versus Superman dropped like X percentage during its second weekend and Civil War, Captain America Civil War dropped, you know, X percentage, which was more than the uh, Batman versus Superman number. And it goes, but that's none of my business, though. Are those numbers really true? Yeah, let's see if I can do this real quick. I mean, percentage-wise, it's going to be shaky in my head. Uh, but let's look at real. We're going to we have to look at the individual daily box office here. Uh, let's take a look. First weekend, the first weekends were the first weekends were close, and let's see the second weekends. No, it doesn't. See, the, that's the percentage based on the day before. I I don't think I can do this quick. I don't think I can do this quick enough in 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 my head to. Uh, yeah, because guys never believe everything you see on Facebook. I'm not saying <laughs> I'm, a, I'm not. No, no, no. I know, I know, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not saying it's wrong. I, I'm, I'm just saying that's, at, I'm saying that's why I'm asking you because I saw it and I didn't know if those numbers were actually right. Since you're the person I know who pays more attention to box office stuff than I do, I thought I'd ask. I might be able to tell what the percentage was in the drop. Uh, if this if this article fifty nine percent drop. It was a fifty nine fifty nine percent drop, which was on par with the with age with age of Ultron, and I'm trying I don't, and I'm not sure if this article is going to tell me about BBS. Yeah, but I think I think it had a drop similar. It might it might it might be it's possible that it could be correct. It might be a slightly lower drop, but at the end of the day, that's to me that honestly that's just you know Batman versus Superman people trying to look for. You know the <laughs> the uh, the little uh, silver lining in the cloud here, because the real the real you know the reality is it's I mean based on just a couple of based on just two weeks out I mean worldwide Captain America Civil War has already made more money than uh, than Batman versus Superman did. Yeah. So I mean it's it's so that's that's what's at the end of the day, that's what it's going to come down to. You, you look at you look at worldwide box office right now. Batman vs Superman is number three in twenty sixteen at basically eight hundred eight hundred and seventy eight hundred seventy million. And Captain America: Civil War right now is at nine hundred and forty two, almost nine hundred and forty three million. And of course, that's only been out ten days, a little bit longer internationally. But, yeah, but. We, and guys, we were just focusing on Civil War. Now, Mark and I didn't have this conversation, but I figured Mark would go along with it anyways. There are going to be a lot of podcasts out there and articles and stuff comparing the two movies, uh, not just not just box office wise, but you know, plot wise, and whether you know who did the superhero fight thing better, and blah 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 blah. And that's just going to be a never-ending cacophony of sound and bullshit. So I didn't. I, I, I thought, and Mark, I'm sure you thought the same thing, that it's just prudent to just talk about the movie in and of itself and not compare it to other crap. Right. Uh, I, I think, mean, I, I think I, the most valid thing would be comparing box office. 
Right. I mean, I knew, like I mentioned, I figured that at some point that was, you know, it would almost have to come up in some levels of comparison. But, but like I said, it wasn't my goal, and I don't think it was either one of our goal to, goals to make it like the focal point of our discussion. No, I think sure. we, we certainly succeeded in that. <laughs> yeah, we're judging Civil War on its own merits, guys. Right. And, you know, Civil War, you know, Civil Civil War was handled very, very well. And then we'll – so – well, and we'll, we'll, we will, and we will see you. You know, we don't have another movie episode, you know, scheduled at the moment for for this year. Doesn't mean we're not going to do one. But, depends, on, depends on how good Doctor Strange and uh, Suicide Squad do. Yeah, we could. I mean, I was thinking we we could always do one like almost like a summer review and do yeah. something towards the end of the summer where we just talk about the, basically everything that's come out since Civil War to the end of the summer. We could do something like that, uh, but. We knew with we were looking forward to this one. This is this is a biggie, and I think that I think some people might have been, and I was a little disappointed that maybe they played it safe, and that they didn't kill anybody mm. in this movie. That they were because supposedly they had, they supposedly they had filmed like two or three different death scenes in this movie, and I knew by the time before it came out, since I saw that Wakanda scene, that obviously they weren't killing Cap. So then it thought, oh, maybe they're going to kill Rhodey because we know Rhodey gets got blasted from the trailers. Yeah. So the fact that they didn't that they didn't off anybody, you know, and they didn't even kill Zemo, that kind of I don't know, that kind of seemed like a cop out. But I'm sure they have a reason for it. But it just I don't know, it just seems maybe a little weak to me. All right. Anything else about Civil War? No, I think we're good. All Hopefully. right. You want to go? You want to go ahead and close this out? I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. If you'd like to contact us, the email is lanterncast at gmail.com. Lanterncast at gmail.com. The website, lanterncast.com. Then you can access our latest blogs, our Ring Encyclopedia episodes, Dark Star reviews, and pretty much all our old episodes are now available for your, for your listening pleasure directly from the site now. So feel free to take advantage of that. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you like us on either or both platforms, please leave us a positive review. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN. 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. That's right, guys. Speaking of that, this is episode 249, which means next episode is episode 250. And as we announced on the JL May uh, crossover tie-in episode that we did, 250 is going to be Final Night. Yes, we are talking about Final Night with our buddy Ryan Daly. We have actually already recorded that, peeling back the curtain, but we have not yet recorded the tail end of that where we normally do listener feedback so we are giving you a chance this is your last warning (laughs) last heads up if you have any thoughts on final night the main story the emerald uh the parallax tie-in the green lantern single issue tie-in before we did the funeral for hal jordan issue if you have any thoughts on any of the crossover tie-in issues from any of the other main dc series that had the final night logo over the top of their title while final night was happening any and all things related to Final Night, send us an email or send us a voicemail. Lanterncast at gmail.com, 708 Lantern. This is your last chance. 
to get your thoughts in on Final Night for the Final Night episode. And so, right. far, and so far, you people have not been doing a stellar job. <laughs> yeah, we've got we've got two emails at this point, and they've been sitting there for a while. That's right. So, two emails. If you want your thoughts on it sent in, don't go to Facebook, don't go to Twitter, don't go to Instagram or anywhere else. Seven zero eight Lantern or lanterncast at gmail dot com. That's the only way your thoughts are going to be heard on the episode. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Put my dad voice on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't make me come back there. Uh, all right, guys. We, we will talk to you later then. And, uh, yeah, the next next up, the big one, 250. Woo-hoo. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. Good <laughs> night.